Welcome to Future Out Loud from the School for the Future of Innovation in Society at Arizona State University. I'm Heather Ross. Together with Andrew Maynard, we bring you conversations with experts on and off campus where we think out loud about our collective future. In today's episode, Andrew and I were joined by one of our wonderful PhD students here in the School for the Future of Innovation and Society, Sarah Guerin. Sarah joined us from her perspective as a prior collegiate athlete. Uh, she will tell us that she ran track and field. And we were talking about a project that Andrew is working on to sort of think to the future of genetic modification and uh Uh, gene editing at the embryo level to select for future athletes. So this is one of those very far in the future topics that we grappled with a little bit on the Future Out Loud podcast today. Uh, so I hope you enjoy it, and and of course we we recorded it during the 2018 Winter Olympics. So I hope that this maybe gives just a little bit of a different flavor to your Olympic taking in experience. Before we get to the episode, as always, thank you for being with us on Future Out Loud. If uh, you like what you hear, we would love for you to let us know. Or if you think there are other things that we could be doing, of course there are a million other things that anybody could be doing, but you can let us know that too. You can find us on Twitter or on Facebook at Future Out Loud. Uh, You can also find us on our website at futureoutloud.org. You can reach us there and you can also catch all of our previous episodes. And if you're not already subscribed to the Future Out Loud podcast, you can do that wherever you find fine podcasts in places like Stitcher or the uh, iTunes podcast store or Google Play or SoundCloud. And you could also tell your friends about the Future Out Loud podcast so that they could subscribe to us too. So without further ado, on with Sarah Guerin and Andrew Maynard to talk about the future of gene editing and sports just in time for the Olympics. Hi, Andrew. Hi, Heather. Hi, Sarah. Hello. Welcome to Future Out Loud. Um, It's during the Olympics. Yes. And Andrew, you are getting ready to unleash a new research project related to athletics. Yeah, so we've just got seed funding for a a really interesting project to look at gene editing in humans. Who is we? So we is um, me and a couple of other people here, a couple of other colleagues, who thought it would be really interesting to ask the question, what if people start editing embryos now in preparation for the 2036 Olympics? Oh, no. So we're thinking way ahead. Yeah. But, but the interesting thing about this is, I, so you've, you've got gene editing, um, right. which is um, this massively expanding and exploding capability to effectively do search and replace on um, DNA. Right. Um, so you get somebody's um, genome with three billion base pairs, and you work out which genes you want to get rid of and maybe what you want to replace them with, and you can do this really easily mm-hmm. these days. Um, and some time ago, um, a, group, a research group, discovered um, that you could do it in humans as well, although there was some uncertainty around their research. But it raised the question, what if, say, a a country like Russia or China or Mm -hmm. maybe another country decided 
they wanted to invest in the best athletes in the world, super okay. athletes. Sure. And they worked out that there are a sequence of genes that they could modify so that those kids would grow up to be some of the best athletes in the world. So they could be like Katarina Vitt without the trial and error. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So what are the chances that somebody is starting to play around with this now? So in 18 years' time, we actually see the emergence of these athletes that are just amazing. Mm -hmm. And it's because they've been designed from before birth. Okay. So, so the whole project is looking at whether this is feasible, whether people are going to do it, what the legal and ethical ramifications are, and even if they do it, what it means to actually win. So if we end up in mm -hmm. sort of 18, 25 years with a whole slew of athletes mm -hmm. who have been designed from birth, what does that mean for sport? Oh my goodness. So now Sarah, you're you're not part of this project. So, so actually I, I should say so no she isn't, but it was actually a conversation do you remember with you yes, that, that prompted this. Oh okay. So, so actually you should have probably been it because we, we sucked <laughs> all your intellectual property out of your head and thought this is really cool. Oh <laughs> my goodness. Look at us exploiting students. I know. Um but you're an athlete. Yeah, so I was uh, an athlete at ASU, actually. I was on the track and field team from 2010 to 2014, and I've been a much more casual athlete since then. I do a few races um, here and there, um, but mostly recreational at this point. Mm -hmm. But I still take it pretty seriously. Yeah. What was your event? Um, my favorite event was the 400-meter hurdles, but I also did 400 and 4 by 400 Okay. All right. Yeah. I can't even imagine like that does not compute into my brain because I am not of the fast twitch muscle. But but you are grouping. still athletic. You have a, a sort of a dark secret side to you. I was I was a modestly competitive adult figure skater. I don't oh want my modest. goodness. Yeah. I um in, in fact my left tibia is completely full of titanium as a result <laughs> of <laughs> so that adventure. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, you know, you can say that um, were I a more successful figure skater, I might not be full of titanium today. <laughs> Maybe. Yes. Yeah. Um, however. Um, you know, there were things as I was entering, I was not an athletic young person at all. So I came to this as an, I came to athletics as an adult and it did strike me many, many times that if I had a different body type or, um, you know, any, any number of different things that could be physically about me or, um, you know, related to how my hormone system operates, which yes, is physical or my, um, you know, uh, mental sort of makeup mm. and that sense of athletic competitiveness that I might've been a different Athlete. So, so how important this is, and I, so I'm the one person in the room who is absolutely not athletic. I really don't understand any of this. You uh, walk upstairs. <laughs> so that's about the extent of what I do. Uh, but I mean, so sometimes we get this idea that everybody's on this sort of um, pure level playing field, and it's just down to human determination and grit. But, but how much of your ability as an athlete depends on what you were born with in terms of your, your, your genetics? Well, that's some of it. I mean, if you look at runners like Usain Bolt, people have analyzed his stride and mm -hmm. just realized that there's something about the length of his stride that makes him perfectly tuned to be the kind of runner that he is. Right. Mm -hmm. For me, 
Um, I kind of forced myself into sprinting. Um, everyone assumed that I was going to be a long distance runner because I was kind of naturally pretty good at it. Mm -hmm. I was tall. I had really long strides, mm -hmm. but I hated running long distance. Right. Yeah. So I had the advantage to run long distance, and then I ended up in sprints, which hurdles is a tall sport, or it's a tall say, event. I was going to say, you um, most closely resemble a gazelle, like if we were going <laughs> to, you know, animalize you. Yeah, yeah. I, I am quite tall, so my height gives me an advantage in the hurdles, but when it comes down to the 400 meter, there's a lot of athletes who are shorter. You got you see people who with really powerful legs taking a lot of steps really quickly. Mm -hmm. yeah. I didn't look like I was running that fast when mm -hmm. I was running. So, so from your perspective, if there was possibility, and we can talk about the feasibility of the science, which really isn't that feasible at the moment, but if it was feasible to dial up the characteristics you would like your child to have that would give them a competitive edge, do you think people would go for this? I certainly think some people would. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if the athletes would want it for themselves, right. yeah. but I'm certain there are parents who would want that for their children. Yeah, sure. um, There are parents who would love to design their kids to be great <laughs> athletes, especially if they were that athlete themselves. Sure. I mean, I remember, um, what's it, Evgeny Plashenko? I remember him in a few Olympics ago, uh, figure skating obviously is my, you know, <laughs> modest obsession. Um, but I remember him talking about um, how his mother would stretch him, and he had this unbelievable uh, spin, like this Charlotte spin that he would do, or not a Charlotte spin, anyway, this like catch foot spin that he would do um, that most men couldn't do. And he talked about his mother stretching him mm -hmm. from a very early age so that he could accomplish this position. Mm -hmm. um, but it didn't seem like maybe he was so <laughs> right. interested. In, like it was just, yeah. that was his trick that right. he could do because he had been stretched in mm -hmm. that way. Yeah. But I, I Again, as the non-expert, I tend to pick up on that narrative a lot of parents and coaches really pushing people. Mm -hmm. And it seems to come to the point where the athlete doesn't necessarily have agency in their own life. It's other people dictating what they do. I mean, it really depends on what level you are performing at, what level you intend to perform at. Certain sports are more intense than others. There are people that I ran with who have been doing track and field since they could walk. They've been mm -hmm. doing clubs since they were young. I didn't start until freshman year of high school where I thought mm -hmm. volleyball was my sport. Sure, also <laughs> tall. Right. <laughs> yeah. um, and then I walked out onto the track and the next year I decided volleyball was not for me and I stuck with track for the next seven years. Sure. So, so that really is a combination of you really sort of embracing mm -hmm. something, yeah. but also there are other things around. Yeah, it. well, yeah. I mean, I did well at it um, yeah. from the beginning. Um, I certainly wasn't performing at a collegiate level um, in high school, I had a lot of way to go when I got here, um, but I did very well for where I was in high school. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so, so this really fascinates me because you can mm -hmm. imagine if the parents could dial in those certain characteristics, mm -hmm. it could go one of two ways. Mm -hmm. Either the, the the child and the teenager growing up growing up could think this is fantastic. I've been given something that nobody else has. Mm -hmm. Or they could feel as if they've been used. They've been programmed to do something yeah, right. which isn't actually part of their makeup. Yeah, I mean, I think that we see that in science fiction for, you know, the idea of growing children for specific mm -hmm. purposes. And, um, it, I, you know, I the certainly, oh, what's that show that my daughter is obsessed with? Stran Stranger Things, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Where they grow the, you know, kids to have these sort of extraordinary 
capabilities. Is wasn't that what the thing was? I can't remember. Because what was her name? Seven or something like that. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay. About and like they all have this like unusual power, and they Mm -hmm. were. I think I think that they were like quote unquote bred for that. If I am not mistaken, now <laughs> I did not obsess over but it's a every good story minute anyway. of it, right? It, yeah. But um, I think also there is a book. Is it um, Kazuo Ishiguro? Is I think is his name? Oh my gosh! I hope people correct me on this. Uh, the book called Never Let Me Go. <laughs> Never Let Me Go. With, yes. Um, growing clones. Growing but, clones. Yes. Exactly yeah. right. Now this, of course, is not growing clones and not in the service of another person mm-hmm. in that way, but the idea of breeding you know breeding humans for a specific performance right and you know I think that we've we've thought about this a little bit in terms of um we've all we've heard of cases where um you know a family may have a child develop some kind of like a leukemia and requires a bone marrow transplant so they have another child in order to be a bone marrow donor etc and we there's certainly sort of ethically squidgy feelings right. around that and and it strikes me as as this would be breeding you know a human for not necessarily that direct intentioned service Yes. Yeah. But for but, but, but for a purpose. In purpose. So so one of the scenarios we were thinking through when we were thinking of this is you take a, a powerful country where the geopolitics of, of sport are front and center. Mm-hmm. Um, part of winning on the, the global stage is part of your political power. Mm-hmm. Um, so you could imagine a country like that deciding they're going to invest in a program where maybe they take a hundred families sure. and they offer those families um, full scholarships, a full career pathway for their kids mm-hmm. if only they give them the opportunity to play around with their genome mm-hmm. and it may be that this is experimental only one or two of those actually succeed sure but at a country level that's a pretty small investment for mm-hmm. getting sort of yeah. one or two really first class super athletes yeah. in 15 20 years time and at that level it's not necessarily that the the kid might feel they're being bred for a particular purpose the parents right. would want to have the kid and they would be giving their child a whole bunch of opportunities that they might not have had. So it is in the interest of the child in that case. Yes. I mean, we certainly hear about countries where there are national development programs, um, whether it's in dance or in sports like gymnastics or skating or or what have you, where children are sort of screened and selected at a very young age and then put into this national development program, which does accord some, uh, you know, financial stability and some social stability to the families um, because of the child's work essentially in this athletic or performance field so it seems like this is maybe carrying that just a step further and and pre-identifying um yeah 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 yeah. and of course the downside is that we're jumping the gun in terms of the technology because although we know we've got gene editing technologies Um, it's by no means certain we can reliably um, embed that into a human embryo Mm -hmm. um we definitely don't know which genes to, to edit exactly. out yet. Yeah. Yeah. But that's not intractable. So one of the things that fascinates me is you look at the whole code of, of DNA. Mm-hmm. We really don't understand it at the moment, but there's nothing to say that one day either we won't understand it mm-hmm. or we'll have an artificial intelligence that's that right. can actually make sense of it mm-hmm. and work out which snips to make 
to actually change somebody. Sure, and this is exactly the kind of case where we have seen other, and of course, we've seen other technological developments for which we have not sort of kept up our sort of moral, ethical, sociological mm-hmm. thinking. So we're, we we found ourselves with technologies, for example, you know, artificial intelligence, uh, lethal autonomous weapons, right? right? Um, and, oh my gosh, we haven't thought through that in an right, organized right. way. So now we're like scrambling to keep up with that. So I guess we can say, ah, oh, yeah yes, this is science fiction, this is in the future, and maybe it'll never happen. But I do still come back to this feeling that it's useful to think through this ahead of time. So to me, it absolutely is. You go back to that idea of 18 years from now, Mm -hmm. so the 2036 Olympics. Which is not that far away. It isn't that far away, but it it means if people start playing around now, Mm -hmm. we're really only going to see that coming out in 18 years, by which time it's probably too late for these conversations. So that's the intended consequence. I mean, what are the unintended consequences? Uh, (laughs) Not, and and I recognize that you have a seed grant, you're working through this. So I don't mean to suggest that that our podcast today is going to answer all of these questions. No, you can is, like wrap it up. I, <laughs> really, I think I can put this time down to actually doing work on good, this. Good, um, good. So I, you know, I don't know, but I, you can imagine there are multiple unanticipated consequences or mm-hmm. unintended consequences. Mm-hmm. Um, the one is you're messing around with people's genetic mm-hmm. um, yeah. code and you've no idea what the outcomes are going to mm-hmm. be. So again, you take that scenario of playing around with hundred families. Mm-hmm. Um, what if 99 of those um, mm-hmm. re- um, end up in people who are physically disabled, mentally disabled, socially incapable, mm-hmm. and only one actually works? That's a huge social price to play. Huge, yes. And, and ethically, very, very dubious yes. indeed. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's maybe not at that extent, but you're likely to see something like that because really we don't know what we're doing when we're messing around with DNA at the moment. So that's one side. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The other side is, what are the impacts on how we actually make sense of sport? So take the scenario where, again, in 2036, we suddenly, um, you've got a whole suite of athletes who are just winning everything. Mm -hmm. And somebody suddenly says, I think these have been genetically modified. What do we do as a society? How do you test for that? Mm -hmm. If you develop a test, how do you penalize those athletes who have had no say in this? Mm-hmm. That's um, right. It's, it's not their fault that somebody else has yeah. modified them. Mm-hmm. Well, we can look at uh, the Blade Runner guy who is no longer running unless he's doing that in a prison I, yard I, I was, the moment. I went straight to the movie, yeah. yes. Sorry, right. let me readjust that. <laughs> yes. Sorry. Yes, we are sports today. Okay. Yes, thank you. Um, <laughs> and, and remember, he was not allowed to participate in the Olympics That's because right. he had been modified, not the, uh, genetically modified, of course. Yeah. But, but physically modified. Yes, physically yes, modified. Yes, yes. Um, and so is it a level playing field? But then I also, as a humanist, want to come to this idea and Sarah, I want to ask you, you know, are what we call sport, and yes, we measure it in these quantitative ways, mm-hmm. but how much of it is a human experience that goes into sport? Yeah, so um, you think about this. Um, the way I see, like being bred for sports, it kind of means that you know what sport you're going to play when you mm-hmm. start. For me, I had no idea what I was going to do. Mm-hmm. It It's almost like, Uh, a little bit of art infused in sports trying to figure Mm -hmm. out what you're good at and what you like Mm -hmm. and where where those two things overlap Mm -hmm. um so I found track and it just it all fell together for me and I was not um 
naturally a high level sprinter. I had to work mm-hmm. very hard to get that and it was very rewarding yes. to work hard to compete with people who maybe had more natural talent than I did, which was definitely the uh, case when I came to college. Okay. So I remember when we first started talking about this, that fascinated me because mm-hmm. to you, it was your personal achievement. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, the enhancement bit didn't come into this at all because it was your sense of satisfaction with what you actually mm-hmm. managed to achieve and what you overcame, yeah. mm-hmm. which I guess is a really big part of sport from the individual perspective. Right. But then there are all sorts of other little things that kind of play into that that maybe we don't think of as modifications. So, you know, the types of shoes that we get to wear. You get the the top-of-the-line shoes competing against someone who doesn't have the the top-of-the-line shoes. That is technically an advancement that you Mm -hmm. have that they don't. Right, right. You know, maybe their skill will compensate for it, maybe it won't. Mm-hmm. I mean, track comes down to thousandths of a second at some yeah. point. And, and this is what fascinates me because mm-hmm. we're already having to have these conversations about what is it beyond just your human capabilities mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that constitutes legitimate winning. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think the more sophisticated our technologies become, the more we're gonna have to examine what that actually yeah. means. So I have, uh, I have a few friends who are Olympians and when they talk about their experience as athletes, they don't talk about the quantitative part of the experience. And yes, it's awesome to win. And yes, it's amazing to have these medals, et cetera, et cetera, and, and those experiences. But what stays with them, what informs the rest of their life is the human, the lived experience. And that's something that I think we celebrate about the Olympics mm-hmm. is this opening ceremony where it's all these countries coming together and this expression of culture and and all of that that has really nothing to do with the sporting part of the sporting. And so as we think about the idea of genetic modification and breeding for sport, how does that square with the human experience of sport? And, And I guess I'm asking, is sport primarily an exercise in this quantitative you know race or faster taller better or is sport one expression of this human experience um well for me there is definitely when i started getting to some of those higher level meets it was just sort of the awe of being there you know when i went to oregon for the first time it's track town Mm -hmm. they celebrate track like nowhere else in the country that i know of um so just being in that stadium uh was kind of exciting even Mm -hmm. though I was pretty much just there as an alternate runner I wasn't actually running at the meet um (laughs) an alternate for the 4x400 team just being in that stadium where there have been so many Olympic trials and Mm -hmm. intense competitions Mm -hmm. Prefontaine ran there (laughs) so but on the flip side sport is also big money so, you, in uh-huh. fact, you look at the Olympics. You some look at sport is some, big some, money. Some sport is not really yeah. big money. No, curling, you're, you're right. not big money. <laughs> I love people in track. I love some. curling. Yeah, I love curling. There was actually just money. a doping allegation in curling this there morning. There was. I, I, oh. I, I was listen, Russian athlete. I was listening to that well, thinking, I see that, yeah. how, I mean, how yeah. would you how use doping? Yes. You can rush faster. I guess. Have you ever done curling? I haven't. It's really harder than it looks. Right. There's potential to do and that's harder than I mean it's hilarious and great great fun (laughs) right but like but luge I mean luge also 
there's no money in luge. Right. It's no. an incredibly expensive sport to maintain. But, mm-hmm. Okay, but you say it. that. But So you look at the Olympics at the uh-huh. moment. So yes, an individual sport, no, not a lot of money. Mm-hmm. But the whole package, there are huge investments of course in that. And huge yes. stakes in that. Yeah. So that's where I think things flip from the individual. Um, where in many cases I think it is about what you can individually achieve mm-hmm. to in the political arena and the economic arena how you can actually use and abuse sport mm-hmm. um, and that I think becomes a, a lot trickier when you look at augmentation or genetic modification yeah. right. in this stage so yes these are these are really tough questions <laughs> I that, know yeah well yeah. you know that's so, why you're working so on well them. I should ask the two of you um, say you're both around in 2036 I watching the be. Olympics. I also plan to be. Okay, yeah. good. And you see in your favorite sport, there are people that are just trouncing the competition, absolutely mm-hmm. trouncing. Sure. And the story comes out that they were designed from before birth mm-hmm. to actually do that. How would you feel about it? Would you be rooting for them? Would you feel that somehow someone somewhere has been cheated? So I think, I don't know that I would be rooting for them or not rooting for them because Knowing that those individuals had been modified, this is something that they didn't choose, right? Right. It's different than doping in that Lance Armstrong-y way. Right. Yeah? They, yes, yes. They actually made a conscious decision to do something. Exactly. And somebody who's been genetically bred. Yes. Um, yeah. I don't. No, how yeah. I would see, feel see, this was what fascinates me. So there is not a black and white answer. Yeah. To yeah. This what do you think, all. Sarah? Well, I think the there's actually. <laughs> I think there's actually a really um, good sort of uh, story out there um, for this. A, a bit of a metaphor. Uh, I can't remember how many Olympics ago it was, but there's Castor Semenya. She was an 800 meter runner. Um, who during the Olympics while she was running she was just kind of blowing everyone out of the water mm-hmm. people looked at her and decided that she didn't quite look like a girl mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. they thought that she looked very masculine mm-hmm. so they started um, They she was accused of actually being a man and they did tests right. on her oh, and they the found that she was an XXY yeah yes, so I she remember. had really elevated levels of testosterone mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. technically she had this sort of advantage over the other women yeah. in the field right but it wasn't her fault she's been raised right. to think she's a woman yes and, and, and how, she, did, how did that play out um, I think there's still a question about it I think she's still tra- I think she's still running with women right now mm-hmm. yep. Um, yep. but it makes you think about what do you do with these individuals who yep don't fit neatly, you know, if, if she's got these, this elevated level of testosterone that makes her significantly more competitive than the women, but not quite as competitive as the men in her field. See, see, to me, this is actually an opportunity to move away from some of these ideals around what it is to be the ideal woman athlete or male athlete mm-hmm, yeah. mm-hmm. to some of these boundary areas where we're actually changing what it means to be an individual and mm-hmm. a human maybe yeah, we should yeah. actually be celebrating difference yeah. in sport well and maybe we you know there's I can't, it's hard to imagine sport without categories in that yeah. way mm-hmm. and of course um, is it Bowker and Starr's book about 
the oh, what was it called sorting things out about how we have this you know tendency to want to group and order mm -hmm. you know and that's just a very human thing one of the things that I like uh, one of the ways that I like that sports organize themselves is you know wrestling organizes itself according to weight right. and of right. course at the high school level and I believe also at the collegiate level men and women wrestle together by weight mm -hmm. class okay. um, which seems to me to by removing that gender variable yeah. um, and then another okay. way that I think is useful um, for organizing is the way that adult or that tennis you know for like amateur tennis right does in terms of leveling based on you know your recent accomplishment right. as an athlete right. which yes. is a nice way to allow people to age into or, or throughout tennis and have it be a lifelong experience yeah. and there's been some conversation over the years of figure skating doing the same thing because right now it, it doesn't so um or you know in uh amateur running of course uh there is the um, there's the that age grouping that mm -hmm. that happens yeah. that uh, I don't know if you've ever you know broken out from that collegiate experience. <clears throat> um, I have I did a couple I did a half marathon and I've done a ten k which is broken down of it by age. Mm -hmm. um, so it's it's really cool to see how you compare to the yeah, people yeah. running in your age range. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> that's a little bit different when you're in like high school or in college because everyone is pretty close to the same age right which right. causes some problems at those levels um, and it's in the past I would have said that it um, was a, a problem for professional sport but now you all have a, you have all of a sudden a bunch of uh, college athletes leaving college to go run professionally so mm -hmm. you've got even younger people out there on the professional field Exactly. So actually, I really like this idea of rethinking those those categories. Yeah. And, and maybe this is where the conversation is mm -hmm. going to go as mm -hmm. we work on augmentation, whether it's genetic augmentation mm -hmm. or other forms of augmentation. Mm -hmm. uh, because then that gives us a different way of passing out how people are competing mm -hmm. against each other yeah. and what it actually means to win within those categories. That's right. And I think that maybe maybe there is a category for genetically modified sport, right? right? Yeah. And maybe you, and it gets us into all kinds of, again, like I can think of a million different sort of science fiction scenarios. We have the Cyborg League. Yes, exactly. Yeah. We've got our Cyborg League and then we've got our like Normie League or right. whatever well, it is. Well, I think you know? how much attention male sports get compared to women's sports. Oh, sure. Would both sports be blown out of the water by this different n new category of sports because everyone wants to watch the people who are basically superhumans doing the sport. Right, 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 right. yes, yes. Yeah, yes. that's an interesting question. And I don't know if our natural human tendency would be to really celebrate this superhumanness mm -hmm. or to say, okay, celebrate fine, but let's actually yes. celebrate our human mm -hmm. humanness. I you can I'd like it, to think we come down on the side of You humans. can imagine it coming yeah. full circle where mm -hmm. the thing that really distinguishes you is that you haven't had any augmentation. Yeah. Yeah, yes. exactly, exactly. So who knows? I guess we will have to reconvene we'll in soon. 2036. <laughs> right. For, and which Olympics will be? What is that a winter or summer? It should be a, a summer. summer, summer. Then. summer yes. Okay. Yes. All right. Well, we'll come back in the Summer Olympics of 2036. And who knows who will be hosting and what the geopolitical structure of the earth will be. That but sounds good. To be continued.
All right. Thanks very much, guys. Thanks, Heather. For more where that came from, check out the School for the Future of Innovation and Society at sfis.asu.edu. Future Out Loud is produced with the support of the School for the Future of Innovation and Society and the Risk Innovation Lab at ASU. Mark Van Hare created our music. Esmeralda Parker is our production assistant. Our website is futureoutloud.org. Subscribe to Future Out Loud on iTunes or SoundCloud or wherever you get your fine podcasts.